Let's turn to the Word of God now. Isaiah 53 is our Old Testament reading this morning. Isaiah chapter 53, reading the whole chapter. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12. Brothers and sisters, this is the living and abiding Word of God, so let's give it that attention now that it deserves. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession. For the transgressors. And our New Testament reading, our sermon text, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Reading uh, reading here from the English Standard Version. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the to the Spirit. Thanks be to God that He's given us this Word. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that You would not let our hearts be like the hard-packed soil of the path of which our Lord speaks in the parable, 
where the seed of your word is sown. But the soil is too, uh, too hardened against it for it to take root. Lord, we pray also our hearts would not be the shallow soil or the thorny soil, but the good soil. Lord, we cannot make our hearts this way. Only you can. So we pray, Lord, soften our hearts. Plow them up by your spirit. Make them to be ready for your word. And may your word take root and bear fruit to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you forgiven of all your sins? Every single one. And are you righteous in God's sight because of what Jesus Christ has done for you? That is the most important question there is, isn't it? Are you forgiven? Are you righteous in Christ? I think most of us, maybe all of us, would say, yes, I am. I know the gospel. I know that Jesus has died for my sins. I am not under condemnation, but I'm living under the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. All right, I, think, I think most of us probably know that and understand it. But there's a difference between knowing something, right, in your head, intellectually saying, yes, I know, I know that, and also living under it and enjoying it and living in the light of it. During the heat wave a couple weeks ago, during vacation Bible school, I was sitting in my kitchen uh, working on a sermon or something. I was sitting there working in the afternoon, and I was just drenched with sweat. And I, I, and I thought, you know what? I have an air conditioner down in the cellar. Now, I know what an air conditioner is. And I know what an air conditioner does. But it wasn't doing me any good to know what an air conditioner was and just leave it at that. So I went down the cellar, I brought the air conditioner up, I stuck it in, plugged it in, and then I kind of draped myself over it for the rest of the afternoon, right? Just enjoyed the cool air washing over me, right? And sometimes we can, we can uh, do that same sort of thing with the truth of God's word and with his gospel, right? I know no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but am I living in it? Am I enjoying it and savoring it? And is my life being impacted by it? That is the question that I want us to think through this morning. We're going to be, we're going to be digging in here to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, and what the gospel is. Uh, this is one of those texts in the scripture where it's just zoomed in so close on, on what the gospel is. Um, and I, I want to unpack it together and, and consider together, right, am I living in light of this? Am I savoring this and enjoying this? Right? To be a Christian is not just to know in my mind, uh, in, in my head, that, that, that Jesus forgives sinners. But to be a Christian is to live in that reality. To rejoice in it. To walk by it. To have it make a, a difference in our lives. To have it be not just, you know, that's the doorway of the Christian life, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is the banner over the whole of the Christian life. To live under that. So we're going to unpack Romans 8, 1 through 4 here together, Lord willing, under, under four headings, one, one for each verse. The first one is this, verse 1, no condemnation. Romans 8, chapter 1, no condemnation. The text says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, when you're reading the Bible, you come along to the word therefore. You should always ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? Right, it's a good rule of thumb. What's the therefore, therefore? 
We hit, therefore, in Romans 8. What's it doing? It's pointing us back to the context right, of Romans chapter 7. Um, what's Romans chapter 7 about? Well, Romans chapter 7, at least, at least much of it, is about the experience of, of being under condemnation and under the influence of sin. Um, theologians debate Romans 7, whether it's about uh, the believer before he's converted or the believer wrestling with old but stubborn habits of sin after he's converted. We're not going to get into that debate this morning. Uh, some other time, Lord willing, we'll get there. Uh, but um, what, I, what I want to draw out here from the context of Romans 7 is that Paul is, under an, is expressing in Romans 7 the experience of conflict with sin and the experience of, of feeling like or actually being under condemnation for sin and under the power of sin. He says in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but the, I do the very thing I hate. He says in verse 19, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And then he says in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The experience of being under the power of sin and feeling that so sharply. And then he closes out chapter 7 by saying, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. The victory over sin in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Romans 8.1 then takes all that and says, Therefore, right, that experience of condemnation in the background, Jesus is the one who gives us the victory. What does that mean? Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's, that's the context here. What does this word condemnation mean that Paul's using? It's a judicial word. It's the opposite of the word justification. It's, it's, it, the sense of the word is that it means death sentence. Uh, right? Think of a courtroom, and this is, this is the sentence being handed down. The, the, the judge saying, you are guilty, and here's what the punishment for the crime is going to be. Condemnation. What's, uh, what is the condemnation that Paul's talking about? Um, I think there are clues throughout Romans which, which talk to us about what this death sentence that everyone who's apart from Christ is under. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 uh, talks about this. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He's saying that's part of the condemnation that we're talking about here. God's wrath against sinners who've broken his law, who've rebelled against him. His, his wrath is his determined, settled opposition towards those who have broken his just commandments. And that's, that's part of what's included here in this uh, word condemnation in Romans 8 verse 1. That the wrath of God is against every sinner who's not forgiven. Uh, part of this condemnation is also what that wrath means, which is death, right? Physical death, but also separation from God. Spiritual death, being cut off from the goodness of God, being cut off from the blessing of, of having God. We read about this in Romans 6.23. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I think that's part also of what Paul has in view here. The wrath of God for us and also what that wrath means, which is death, the punishment for our sin, uh, the separation that it means from God's goodness. Paul also talks in Romans about another aspect, though, of this 
condemnation, this death sentence. Not only is God's wrath against sinners, not only does that mean death for sinners, it also means that sinners are enslaved to their sin. We read this in Romans 6.17. You who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Paul's bringing together all this and saying, this is, this is what condemnation means. He's been describing it throughout Romans. Wrath of God, death as a punishment, slavery to sin uh, in, our, in our unbelief. And, and he's, he's pulling it all together. It's the triple death sentence that's on every single man, woman, boy, girl who's not in Christ, hasn't been forgiven. What's the experience of that like? Does it resonate, right? Have you experienced any of, any of that feeling of being under the wrath of God? Feeling of guilt before Him. Shame before Him. Feeling like you don't measure up to His law. Like, uh, like you have a desire to hide from Him. That you, that you don't want to be exposed for who you really are before Him in your heart. Uh, fear, fear, uh, fear of God. Fear of His wrath. Also, this experience of condemnation would include fear of death. Fear of the pain of dying, fear of separation from all that you love. That's part of the death sentence that I think would resonate with us. Or the sinful habits, right? Part of this condemnation, this, this death sentence includes being a slave to sin. And the sinful habits that, that you can't seem to get free from. This is truly, right, a death sentence. Martin Luther went through an experience where he felt all this very closely. He was terrified of God and his wrath. Um, even though he was doing his best to live a particularly committed and holy life, it just made him feel more and more sinful before God. And he writes this, Even though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. I did not love. Yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. And secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God and said, as if indeed it's not enough that miserable sinners, eternally lost through original sin, are crushed by every kind of calamity by the law, without having God add pain to pain by the gospel, and also by the gospel threatening us with his righteousness and wrath. Thus I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. That was Luther's experience when he didn't know Christ and the grace of Christ. Haunted by guilt, a feeling of the wrath of God, uh, a feeling that it's only a matter of time until the verdict, uh, right? You're on death row and it's only a matter of time until the sentence is carried out. That's condemnation. What Paul is saying, for the believer, even though that was true, there's something new that's true now, which changes everything, right? And that's where we see he goes, he says in the rest of verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's interesting he says now. What does he mean, you think, by, by now? There is now no condemnation. I don't think he's saying to the Roman Christians, now that you've come to faith in Christ, there's no condemnation for you, though that would be true for them. I think he's saying by now, he's referring to the fact that Christ has come now. There's a new reality now, a new, a new, a new rule now, a new, a new world, a new creation now. 
Christ has come. He's paid the penalty for sins now. He's, brought, he's, brought, he's met the righteous requirement of God's law now. Paul says something very similar to this in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. He says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Paul, Paul saying there, right, uh, even though under the old, the old, in the Old Testament, the law and the prophets point forward to Christ and you can be saved by the grace of God through faith in, faith in the Christ who is to come, right, it wasn't until Christ came that the punishment for sin was actually paid. It wasn't until Christ came that there is therefore now no condemnation for all those who are His. So Paul says this glorious truth, Christ has come, no condemnation for those who are in him. And he tells us who it's for. Uh, So if if you're looking at verse 1 still, he says this no condemnation is for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right, so Christ has come, he's paid the penalty for sin, he's brought this no condemnation. But it's not just, it's not for everybody without discrimination, right? It's it's not for everybody throughout the whole world. It's, It's for those who trust him. Those who receive Him by faith and rest in Him and are, 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 are united to Him and, and in Him. Those who have this relationship with Christ by faith are those who are not condemned. So the question then is, am I in Christ? I've put my faith in Christ. That's where no condemnation is found. In Him. All right. So, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, verse 2. Romans 8, verse 2. Here we see our spiritual emancipation. That's our second heading. Spiritual emancipation. Um, a little bit, uh, th- those words aren't the best, but they get at it, and they rhyme with condemnation. So, spiritual emancipation, verse 2. Um, why is it that there is no condemnation for those in Christ? That's Paul's, that, that's why he's going into this, right? He's, he's saying... He's, he's announced to us, he's proclaimed to us, there is no condemnation for those in Christ. But why? How? Why is it that there's no condemnation for those in Christ? What does Jesus do that makes a difference? And, and the heart of the question he's asking, he's driving at in verse 2, is how is it that we who live in a world dominated by sin and death, how could we be set free from that? He says, because for because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What does he mean by law? I think he means uh, principle, uh, authority. Uh, think of like the law of the land. He's saying you used to live under the uh, one, one set of laws. Now you live under a new set of laws. You used to live according to one principle. Now you live according to, to a new one. So you can kind of think of it like... Um, like, what is, the, what is the rate of, what's the velocity of gravity on Earth? Well, 9.8 meters per second squared or something like that. How about on the moon? I think it's something like 1.62 meters per second squared. Right? Different rules apply. Different, a different principle controls things from one to the other. And, and Paul is saying, you used to live... You used to live uh, under, under, under one authority, one principle, one rule. Now you live under a new one. Right? On the one hand, he says that you live under the influence of the Holy Spirit now. 
that you, that you live by the Spirit of life, as he calls it. And he's saying to us, you're in a new creation. You're in a new world where it's not sin and death that are the rule and the authority and the dominant force, but it's the Holy Spirit, the life-giving Spirit of Jesus Christ. On the other hand, he talks about the law of sin and death. That's the old authority. The old set of rules that govern things apart from Christ under God's wrath. Paul's point, brothers and sisters, is to say, what could free us from that death sentence world? What, what could set us free from that sin-sick, enslaved world? Only the Holy Spirit. But you're, in the old creation, the fallen creation, sin and death dominate. And the only thing that can begin a new creation is the same Spirit that started the old one. Right? The Holy Spirit's there in Genesis chapter 1, hovering over the first creation. And now Paul is saying he's the spirit of life who's bringing about this new creation in Christ where he dominates, where life, not death, dominates. The Old Testament anticipates this, uh, how the spirit will come, start this new creation with uh, with Christ's coming. And it will be a reign of life, not a reign of death for God's people. Uh, Ezekiel 36, verses 26 to 27, describes the Spirit's work like this. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So this is what Paul's saying. Christ has ascended and he's poured out his spirit and the spirit comes now to apply to the Christian everything Christ has accomplished to bring them into his new creation and to bring them under the reign of life and righteousness instead of sin and death. This is how we can be freed from the death sentence of God's wrath and the vice grip of sin. It's through the power of the sovereign spirit, the gracious, life-giving spirit of God. So the question, right, to put to ourselves, to consider for ourselves, am I living under the authority of the Holy Spirit and under the influence and reign and principle of the Holy Spirit rather than the reign of sin and death? Have I been set free from that that death sentence world brought into the new creation through the work of the Holy Spirit? What, is it, what does it look like if you, if you have? Well, well when, when, you, 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 when, you, when you fall into sin, you, you confess it to God, you repent of it. And then when the guilt comes, you say, Lord, I know I'm not living under that anymore. You've given me your Holy Spirit, brought me into this relationship with Christ. I know there's no condemnation in this new creation that you've begun. That it's a world of life and grace and peace. And that's where I live now. So help me to trust that, Lord. Help me to rest in that. That I'm in Christ, forgiven, because of the work of the Holy Spirit to apply it to me. Okay, third verse, verse 3, and our third heading, gracious substitution. Gracious substitution. There's another question. So the first question, right? Paul says, no condemnation. He proclaims that to us. Then he says, why is that the case? How can we be set free from this reign of sin and death? Well, it's by the Holy Spirit. Now in this verse, verse 3, he shows us how the, the basis by which God can do this. 
Or we wouldn't, we wouldn't think very much of a judge who just kind of arbitrarily, on a whim, forgave some people of horrendous crimes and let them go scot-free. Right? We'd think, he shouldn't be a judge anymore. That's not just. That's not fair. So the question is, well, how can God be just and also say, no condemnation for sinners who deserve condemnation? That's, that's what Paul is answering. He answers it in two parts, first in verse 3, and the next part is in verse 4, which we'll look at in, in a minute. So first he says, uh, in verse, verse 3, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. First he says, God did what the law couldn't do. What could the law not do? Well, the law couldn't save us from sin and death. The law couldn't free us from, from, uh, from, from wrongdoing. Um, what's the law designed for? Well, the law is designed, yes, to keep people from sin. But once, once we fall into sin and become sinners, is there any use in the... Does, does the law have anything to do to save us anymore? Right? If you're, if you're a good law-abiding citizen, you like the law. Right? The law is your friend. But once you're not, once you've broken it, the law is not going to justify you. It's only going to shine a spotlight on your sin. Remind you of your guilt. And Paul says the law couldn't save us from sin and death because, because not there was a fault in the law, but because there was a fault in us. Because of our sin. Because we were sinners. We, we are so, right, sin is so deeply ingrained in us. Our rebellion against God runs so deeply in us that there's no chance that, that we'll be able to keep the law in any kind of way and, and, and say, well, I'm not guilty because I've kept, I've kept the law. The law cannot save us. This is one of those things that we need to be reminded of over and over and over. This is a part, you know, this is the air conditioner that gets left in the cellar. The law can't save us. We need to remember, remember that, right? We think, oh, I, can, I, can, I can fix this on my own. I can improve myself on my own. I can, I, can, I can, by my obedience, earn something from God and earn His favor or make up for some sin I've committed by my obedience to Him. But the law cannot save a sinner because we're sinners. The, law, the best obedience you could try to offer in the law would still be sin before God. You wouldn't be able to. And the law is, is completely unable to move us an inch closer to God or to secure any blessing from Him. All it does is shine that spotlight on our failure and our sin. That's what the law can't do. So what does God do? He does what the law could not the text tells us, verse 3, tells us, He sends His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He sends Jesus, innocent, holy, righteous Jesus, to take on our sin, to be made like us, to take on our sinful flesh, to take on a body, and to take on a body that could absorb the punishment for, for, for our sin. He sends Jesus in, in, in our likeness, not himself sinful, but, but under our human nature, under the death sentence of condemnation we, we talked about. And he says, the text says, he sends, him, he sends Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, as a sacrifice. Right? That's what that means, as a sacrifice for sin. And then he, uh, God, God exacts the full punishment of our sins 
from Jesus Christ. That death sentence, that condemnation that should have fallen on us, and instead it falls on Jesus Christ in our place. That, that every single sin you and I ever committed and every one of, of God's people ever committed is all piled on Christ. And the wrath of all of it is, is poured out on Him and not an ounce is held back. He absorbs all of it. Hell is emptied out on Him there on the cross. For us. What we deserved on Him. This is what God has done so that we can have no condemnation. So that justice is carried out and yet sinners are still counted righteous and forgiven of their sins before Him. That's what God has done. The second half of what He's done is in verse 4. So He's forgiven our sins because He's paid in full the price of the penalty for our sins in Christ. Then He gives us the rest of the reason that God is just and our justifier. Verse 4, He says, "...in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us." To walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He sends Jesus not only to take our sin and to bear the pain of our sin, but also in order to make us righteous, to make us perfectly righteous in God's sight. He sent Jesus so that Jesus would live a life perfectly obedient to God's law, and then God could take what Jesus accomplished and apply it to us, count it to us, and say, they're righteous, perfectly righteous in my sight. Think about this. Right? Think about who you are before God and your sin. Right? Proud, bitter, jealous, envious, self-centered, self-seeking. This is who we all are. But God looks at us in Jesus Christ, and He says, you're righteous at every single point of my law. You're righteous. Because of Jesus Christ. In fact, he says here that the, the, the law is the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled, perfectly met in those who trust in Christ. Not because of their righteousness, but because of Jesus' righteousness. Think through this, right? Think, think through the Ten Commandments. We could just start there. What's number one? You shall have no other gods before me. Well, we've all broken that one. Right? We've all trusted something and loved something more than we've trusted and loved the Lord God. And yet, God looks at us in Jesus Christ and He says, on your account, here's what I see. You have always loved and trusted and worshipped Me with perfection. Me, Lord? Sinful, doubting, idolatrous Me? Yes. Commandment 2. Worship the Lord according to His Word. Don't make a carved image. Worship Him according to the way he, he calls you and tells you to worship Him. Don't make idols for yourself. And again, we've all broken that. We've all, we've all worshipped Him in, in ways He doesn't authorize. We've all not worshipped Him as, as, as we ought to have. Worshipped Him outwardly and not inwardly. But He says again, you're righteous in Jesus Christ. We can go down through the list, right? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Well, we've all done that. Right, we've all we've all uh, dishonored his name and his character. We've all uh, uh, we've all we've all um, blasphemed him and not reckoned with who he is and not honored him for who he is. But he looks at you and he says, "No, you've never done that. Not on my not on my record. 
you have Jesus' record. What about the other commandments, right? All of them. Uh, what, about, what about the two that summarize them? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look at our lives. We don't do that. But God, God looks at us and he says, you're righteous in Jesus Christ. And what I see on my record is that you have kept those commandments perfectly. It's astounding that he would do this for us. But it's what he's done. That at every single point, there's no condemnation for you in Christ. You're righteous in Christ. We should live under this. We should live in the light of this. That I'm, I'm, not, I'm not under condemnation. There's no possibility of condemnation for me. There's none left. God doesn't go back on a judicial decision He's made. There's no court of appeal that's going right, to... That no one's going to challenge this and a higher court's going to take it up and reverse His decision. If He says no condemnation, it's final, it's forever. What, what about tomorrow when we sin? still applies. What about that sin from your past that you just still feel guilty about? Well, still applies. No condemnation for those in Christ. Period. Righteous in Christ because of His righteousness. This is so different from what our hearts tell us. It's so different from what the world tells us. Our hearts condemn us our hearts remind us, right, of our sin and our guilt. Run to God, right? Run to Him. Run to His Gospel. Say, Lord, You are greater than my heart and I know there's no condemnation for me in Christ when you feel that. When the world condemns you, when the world says you're not good enough, uh, you're not smart enough, pretty enough, talented enough, rich enough, or, or uh, whatever else they might say, right? run to God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I know that in your sight I am righteous and not condemned. Live in that. Who is this for? The end of, the end of verse 4 says that this is for those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul's not saying that this is for those who earn it by their obedience. He's saying this is true of you if you're in Christ, and if you're in Christ, your life's going to reflect that this has happened by your new obedience, walking in the Spirit. This isn't a, 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 a blank promise to every single individual. It's for those who are in Christ. That's why he puts that in at the end of verse 4 to remind us this. So, dear brothers and sisters, let me conclude the way we started by asking that question. Are you forgiven of all your sins and counted righteous in Jesus Christ, in God's sight, because of what Christ has done? If, if you are, Live, live in that, right? Don't leave it in the cellar where it does you no good. Live in it. Enjoy it. Savor it. Worship God for it. Hold fast to the truth that you are not under condemnation, but righteous in Jesus Christ. And if you've never tasted it, if you've never really enjoyed that reality, it's something in your head, but it's never been something in your heart, then, then ask Him. Ask Him to make it precious to you. Pray that He would do that work in you. And that you would be able to live a life where you are confident and assured of His love and of His grace that you are forgiven of every sin and righteous in His sight because of Jesus. Let's pray.
Lord, we are so thankful for what you have done in Jesus Christ. All our hope depends on him and his righteousness and his payment for our sin. So, Lord, we hide in him. We run to him. He is our refuge. He is our resting place. He is our righteousness. Keep us all there, Lord. Help us to live under this precious gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.